1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 117, recorded April 11th, 2013. And for a little treat, we get ongoing Star Trek issue number
0: 19, and Countdown to Darkness number 3. And to start us all off, we're going to do Gold Key number 16. I think variety is the theme of this episode. Yeah, so we get the ongoing is still doing their like flashback, uh, one-offs where today's focus will be Scotty, mm-hmm. and then we get countdown to darkness, which is getting us closer to the the movie that comes out in just one month. Yes, and then we hearken back to 1972 and read a swashbuckling adventure from Gold Key.
1: <laughs> yes, be sure to turn your brain off when we go over that one. It's swashbuckling adventure. Just go with it. <laughs> Ouch, turn your brain <laughs> off. Turn your brain off. There you go. true, but harsh. Harsh. I know. I'm always harsh with Gold Key. I'll try to I'll try to lighten up. <laughs> it's got it's got its own charms. Right. Yes. Okay, so as far as Countdown to Darkness is concerned, the only thing we know well, okay, so at this point in time it is April twelfth eleventh when we're when we're recording this. So we haven't seen the movie yet, although very much looking forward to it. And Obviously, there's something the Federation slash Starfleet did that really chaffed Benedict Cumberbatch's hide. And he's really not happy about it. And I'm just wondering if all this stuff, with the Prime Directive and everything, is somehow what he's so angry about. Other than that, I can't figure it out. Right. What, what's yeah. the link between this story that we're, we're going through, our third one, of this episode,
0: uh, what's the linkage? I don't see it because, I mean, uh, at least with Countdown, the first uh, the first Countdown series they had before the two thousand nine movie, you know, you had Nero, you had Old Spock, you you knew where this one was going, and it tied in with with what you knew was going to be in the new movie, right? Uh, where this one just seems like a random four part story that's just going to coincidentally be before the movie, I mean, right? Maybe the fourth issue will really tie all the loose ends up, but I don't know.
1: I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I I definitely remember in one of the previews where we had Robocop, Peter Weller, saying something along the lines, or or was it Pike? Well, some some higher up was basically telling Kirk, you can't just follow the rules when it suits you. When when you happen to agree with them, right. You know that kind of thing. So who knows? In the end, maybe in this story, Kirk ends up helping April and the people of this planet, and Kirk gets into big trouble for it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we know that
0: we know how the first nine minutes of the movie is going to be, right? We've seen it. They're on the planet with the with the. You've uh, seen it.
1: You've seen it. <laughs> Not me.
0: Well, they're going to be on a planet. That's not insects, so it's not this planet. Yeah, and they're going to be in a volcano, in the water, and all that other good stuff, <laughs> which has nothing to do with this 4 Barter. Yeah. Um. So, well, I, well, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. Let's uh, let's hold it off until
1: yeah. we actually let's talk about it.
0: I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, I mean, spoil issue three.
1: Oh. Oh. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yes. Good point. Good point. So, shall we uh, get on with number sixteen, Gulki?
0: Yeah, so we're gonna make you wait for that uh, for that
1: payoff with the countdown to darkness
0: number three. And that'll be the last one we cover today.
1: That's right, and that's not to just to keep you listening. That's saving the best for last. You, know. y-
0: you hear that noise, Ken? That's the sound of everybody fast forwarding another yeah. thirty minutes.
1: <laughs> Especially since we're starting with Gold Key. Uh,
0: Donovan. All right, so uh, this came out in November of 1972, and its writer was Lynn Wynn who uh, is a writer of a lot of the Gold Key. He wrote some uh, DC stuff, too. Also co-creator of Swamp Thing. Always got to throw that out there. And he wrote some of the uh, animated series, which uh, Brian reminded us of recently. And the artist, like always, is Alberto Giolatti. Alright, so this one is entitled Day of the Inquisitors. So the cover shows Spock clad in a dark robe of some sort, and he's fighting a um, like middle age knight uh, or guard of some sort. Not his age is middle age, but kind of like the Middle Ages. Uh, behind them is a man in a red and green Robin Hood type uh, set of tights. And maybe this is Kirk. Doesn't look like him at all, but let's assume it's Kirk. Uh, We see him leaping into the air, and he's about to swing his sword at another guard who's kind of falling backwards. And then there's more guards and peasant-looking people fighting all around them. And then we see a cleric of some sort uh, watching it all from a throne or chariot seat of some sort. And then the caption reads, Missing in action on a dark-age planet. So as always, Gold Key has the teaser page. So uh, this one shows a shirtless Spock hanging from uh, the ceiling of a medieval-type dungeon. A man in a pointed hat is demanding that he tells him what he wants to know. Uh, Kirk is off to the side being held back, and he's watching all of this, and he's ordering Spock not to divulge any of the secrets. And then Spock says that he must tell him, otherwise he will die. So if that doesn't get you interested, I don't know what would. So the story starts off with Spock at the controls of the shuttlecraft Galileo. He, Kirk, McCoy, Chekhov, and a public relations officer named Claire are returning from a diplomatic mission on Taurus II. Spock notes an incoming meteor shower, too late, and crashes headlong into it. The ship is damaged and crashes at a nearby planet. That just happens to be M-Class and looks exactly like Earth. The shuttle is a complete wreck. It looks totally destroyed. Spock states that he will need some parts in order to fix even the radio. Chekov happens to spot a road nearby, and Kirk concludes that where there's a road, there must be people. So the star fleeters start walking down the road, and they soon come upon the outskirts of a large city surrounded by a wall. Instead of walking towards the city and introducing themselves to the people that are in it, they instead sneak up towards it. They find some guards and just randomly attack them, quickly knocking them out and leaving their bodies on the side of the road. No one comments that the guards are dressed in something that we would see people dress in in a renaissance fair of some sort. They sneak into the city, and they find a man being escorted by four other men wearing black robes and hoods. Kirk literally tells Spock that he does not like those hooded men, and then the Starfleet crew start to attack them. They are not knocked out as easily as the earlier guards, And the four men flee away yelling, the dark ones guide their hands, whatever that means. They help the older man up and he tells them that the hooded men were called inquisitors and that they control the people of the city. They rule by seeding fear amongst all the people and they imprison anyone who speaks out against them. He tells them that they were taking him to their dungeons since he too has been labeled a heretic. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Scotty has received a communication from Starfleet Command that there is a crisis in the Sigma Quadrant. Scotty refuses to leave the area since they are in search of the missing shuttlecraft. Back on the planet, the old man introduces himself as Corbin and he has acquired some clothes for the Starfleet crew and he is offered to help them in any way they can. Before they can make it to Corbin's people, they notice the Inquisitors walking into the city with a wagon full of equipment from the shuttlecraft. Kirk orders the team to split up. He and McCoy will continue with Corbin to get aid from his people, and Spock, Chekhov, and Claire will follow the Inquisitors to the castle and get the equipment back. Later, in the dead of night... Spock and his team have somehow acquired black robes with hoods that cover their face. They use these to sneak past the guards in front of the castle. Once inside, they find the room where the equipment is being kept. It is guarded by several more guards. Spock orders Claire and Chekhov to distract the guards while he works on the radio. Claire does so by lifting up her robe and showing off how high her Federation skirt goes. This leaves them open to a sucker punch from Chekhov, and a fight quickly ensues. While this is going on, Spock has just about got the radio repaired, when he is hit on the head and knocked out. The three are taken to the leader of the Inquisitors, and he claims that they are working with the Dark One. He demands that they admit this. When they do not, he threatens them with torture. Meanwhile... Kirk and McCoy, are able to get Corbin's people to take up arms against the Inquisitors. They start to march towards the castle. In the dungeons, Spock is hanging from the ceiling by his manacled hands. The leader says that his lack of screaming during the torture session is proof enough that Spock is in league with the Dark One. Not buying any of Spock's claims that he is a Vulcan and that he's simply able to block pain. Kirk and his new army attack the castle. They eventually make their way into the dungeon and find the rest of the crew. Spock is able to get the radio working and contacts Scotty, who was just about to call off the search. They order a beam out, and the five Starfleet officers vanish right in front of all these primitive people. They make no effort to destroy or take the equipment and technology with them. As the Enterprise speeds towards the crisis in the Sigma Quadrant that Scotty had been ignoring, Spock and Kirk reflect on recent events. The two hope that the planet that they just left has now taken its first step out of the Dark Ages. Huh?
1: Wow. That's a great one. <laughs> so, so why were their phasers useless when they stormed the castle? I mean, well, after
0: they blasted the door? They said that they were damaged in the wreck and that they only had charge, enough charge for one shot.
1: Oh, oh, that's it. Sorry, I missed that.
0: Yeah, uh, I left it very out. Very handy. I I, I was going to put that into the uh, synopsis just because it's kind of ridiculous, but eh, I, just, I just kept going with it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You can't put everything in there.
0: Yeah, I blocked some of the more... Uh, Uh, You
1: know, smaller inconsistencies. Right. (laughs) Well, like, for example, Bones' intergalactic judo lessons, which (laughs) apparently came in very handy. Oh, that was so bad. Normally, McCoy isn't much of a fighter, he's the doctor guy. But in this one, he actually has some pretty beefy guy held aloft, and he is throwing him. Is he throwing him or is he just holding him up over his head? I couldn't tell. Oh, I, I thought he was throwing him. It like, might be throwing him. I mean, that would be I mean, would, either pick book. one. Right. Could you see Bones doing that? <laughs> no.
0: And when I was reading that, the, the Bones I was thinking of is the frail old Star Trek Six Bones, even well, though okay. I, I so, know that that's not the right one. But, but
1: back in the TV series. Yeah. I mean, even, even then,
0: he was, yeah. he was. He's yeah. a little wimpy wouldn't say wimpy he's just well
1: he wasn't a fighter right no he was a healer yeah
0: and he has this guy over his
1: head it's ridiculous yeah well (laughs) the bottom line is um they are doing all kinds of things that are out of character here
0: yeah i was more concerned with the whole prime directive thing
1: you know. Oh, yeah, total lack. Exactly. Well, that and they're, and they're just bullies.
0: Oh, you're talking about at the beginning when they just beat up those those two guys that are standing in
1: front of yeah. the castle? I mean, in right. front so, of the wall? Right, <laughs> so they walk up to the wall, and, okay, they're guards, and they're armed with spears or something. So they, you know, they don't look like they're going to be that friendly, but still, they just, just off-the-cuff say, Oh, no, those guys are in our way. And then Spock goes, "Well, that won't be much of a problem." And he goes and kicks their butts. You know, him and him and Kirk. And it's like, um, "Hold on, what's fra- what? Prime directive? You know, talk to somebody first before you, you know, open up a can of whoop butt on them." I don't know. No,
0: it did not make sense at all. I mean, and then they did it again. They did it yes. two different times. Once exactly. with those first guards, and then another time with the. Uh, The inquisitors that is carrying Corbin, but they had no way of knowing that Corbin was innocent. I mean, as far as they knew, Corbin was a mass murderer or whatever that
1: these guys were escorting to to jail, yeah, to 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 his just desserts. But you don't know. Well, I mean, in the end, it it turned out handy because the guy was able to get him clothes and intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I mean, like, I don't know, with, with you know. Just just being all this violent stuff, which you know with no you know with really very little prompting i just <laughs> just didn't just didn't jive no when I was
0: reading it uh you know all of it's on like two pages, so there's they 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 show up at the wall, beat up those two guys, yeah. see Corbin being led by those four guys, and just start wailing on them, and then I had to actually stop stop reading. And go back and reread the first two pages, just like, I must have missed something. They must be privy to something that I missed that they knew who was the bad guy. And then, nope. Because the page before is just them walking down the road saying, hey, there's a city up here. And then the next shot is them beating
1: up these two poor security guys. Yeah, which, quite frankly, could have been total jerks who would have been problems for them. But you don't know that. It's no. like, anyway. I mean, and
0: I thought they were there to ask for help right? Aren't they well, trying They, they had to do... get parts. Yeah. So
1: so rather than asking for help, trying to do things uh, in a civilized way, they're just going to kick some butt until they get into the city and try to find the parts they need. <laughs> Which, by the way, this is like a medieval society, so what are the odds they're going to have, you know, parts that would be useful at all?
0: Uh, well, obviously uh... pretty good, since Spock was able to fix it. But,
1: but yeah, it, but... You know but it's this ridiculous. Is, it's
0: but ridiculous. this is supposed
1: to be the Middle Ages. Yes. So... So, all the parts are brought into some place that has tools. Okay, tools. Fine. But, um, you know, what about parts? I mean, tools are fine, but what about parts? Do they really have parts there? What, what, what's the basis of, of all Federation technology that we were. translators? Transdators. Did they have some translators <laughs> sitting around? I'm kind of doubting it. No, it was ridiculous. Yeah.
0: It, it was there to just further the plot. We have to get them to the city somehow.
1: So how'd you like the cover? You described the cover. How'd you like it, though? Oh, I loved it. Did you like Kirk in his Robin outfit? As I in Batman and did... Robin? Yeah, I see... I can see the Batman and
0: Robin. I was thinking more Robin Hood, though. I mean, with Yeah, uh...
1: yeah uh, I kind of see that, too.
0: But yeah, no, it's ridiculous. And I'm not still I'm still not 100% that's supposed to be Kirk.
1: Well, the hair's ripe. But that's about it. Right. I mean, the face is incredibly wrong right and I mean, if you take a look at if you take a look at Kirk's face and the the teeth bared kind of grimace that looks a bit like Spock's face and of course Spock's face doesn't really look like Leonard Nimoy I mean none, neither one of them look like the actors for yeah, the most part I would say Spock looks more like Leonard Spock, Nimoy than, yeah, than yeah. I would tend to agree but that guy. yeah I mean that guy's jaw is way too big I mean he looks like a thug if he, he didn't like have if he didn't have a Spock haircut in the ears, he'd be like a good Jojo Cracko uh runner up guy or something.
0: No, it, it's it's not the greatest cover, but I mean it's a stylized scene from what's going to be in this issue, so right. as far as giving you a little taste of what's to come, it's it's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how, speaking of tastes, how about the the first page of the book when you open it up inside? They the gold key tends to have a little uh, full page thing that kind of gives you even more of a taste of the right. exciting parts to come. Well, it's a little misleading, right? Just, so just like the cover can often be misleading in comic books, the first page is misleading also. Right. And it- for me, the biggest thing wrong with it and you described what what was on the page, but it makes Spock come off like a wimp, and it makes Kirk come off like an unfeeling jerk who actually doesn't care about Spock at all. Right. I mean, if you see the words that are being used. Right.
0: So uh, to remind everybody, Spock is about to tell him what he needs to know because he thinks he's going to get killed if he doesn't. And then Kirk is saying, Don't
1: tell him, no matter what happens, don't tell him. And that's exactly how the Shat would have done it. Yeah. yeah. And then Spock says, I must tell him, Captain. He will kill me if I don't.
0: Bum, bum, Ooh. bum.
1: What a wimp. Come on, Spock wouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, one, it, it
0: doesn't happen in the book. And two, it's not consistent with Spock.
1: No. I mean, and it's not it, consistent with Kirk
0: either. And the fact that when this scene does happen in the book with, with Spock, you know, trussed up like that. Yeah. Spock's a total badass. You know, he's torturing him, whipping him. You're yep. not screaming. You must be in league with the Dark One. No, I can just turn off pain because I'm a badass. Not a, a <laughs> wimp like on the first page.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay, so how about O'Hara's hunter green and blue duty uniform? I liked the green
0: one. I didn't notice the blue one.
1: Well, no, there, there's, gr- like, green... Um, oh, oh, hi- oh it, highlights. The blue, blue highlights? Yeah, around the collar area where it normally would be black, like, in just about any comic book, and definitely in the TV show. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, like, a blue here.
0: Yeah, I actually like the green color. I mean, it... I liked the green color. I, it's not consistent with what she should be wearing, so no. in that regards, I did not like it. But as far as you know, her being in a little green
1: dress, it actually looks kind of cool. Yeah, I I kind of like the colors too. It's just where are they getting these colors from? Yeah. And then and then the kind of sort of lime green uniform that Scotty's has. Well, we we've commented on that before. Right. His badgeless shirt. Yes, another badgeless shirt. Yes exactly yeah but at least it kind of looks like Scotty I mean that, that, that looks like James Doohan on that on that page yeah no so. a
0: lot of the close ups look good uh, but when you get them in profile or at a distance I mean especially like Kirk yeah oh man he looks like you know Rock Hudson or something I don't know who they're trying to make him look like but not the <laughs> chat
1: exactly yeah ah well.
0: You're not going to talk about the flame coming out of the nacelles and the, uh, the engineering section?
1: Well, how many times do I have to mention that?
0: Because it's just so awesome. You should mention it
1: every time. <laughs> uh, well, actually, actually, the I like how the Enterprise looks. Yeah, and, and, and the Galileo 7 looks accurate, too. I mean, they're pretty accurate with the, uh, with the ship drawings. Except, of course, for the little thing about the, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, chemical reactant exhaust coming out of the engineering section which is that's 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 trademark for gold key yeah it looks good but it doesn't really make sense it does look good but and i think the galileo seven coming in in a fiery fireball through the atmosphere that looks pretty cool and well you are re-entering an atmosphere so i could see that kind of uh fiery kind of stuff going on
0: yeah, and then when it's wrecked, it actually looks pretty good. I mean, you can look at it thinking, "Oh man, they really did just crash it," because like the nacelles off, and it, it's uh, it's beat up.
1: Yeah, the thing is, they are absolutely without a scratch. Uh, <laughs> they, they they emerge from this shuttle, which is totally trashed, and they emerge with not a scratch, a bump that you that anybody mentions or sees. Everyone looks perfectly fine. well, you did see they had seat belts, so oh wait a minute, let me, let me get back to that.
0: On the page where you see it as a fiery oh, fiery yeah. ball right above, you yeah. can see uh Claire fastening a white seat belt and yes. then behind her. you can see maybe McCoy and Chekhov also fastening
1: something right,
0: which makes sense, but not consistent
1: with Star Trek no and and don't they have inertial dampeners anyway? Which, if inertial dampeners—I know we've said this a thousand times—I mean, it's, this is not a new thing—but if inertial dampeners work supposedly as good as they work, well, no one should ever have a problem, and no one—and Shat the Shat Company don't have to throw themselves around a uh, a bridge set.
0: Yeah, but where would be the fun in that? Not, not at all. Exactly.
1: Where, where would be the fun of actually saying the fact that if they got even nudged? at warp speed, they'd all end up being red splats on the wall. Or not even that. Let's just say
0: they go to warp speed, there'll be splats yeah. on the back of the wall. On the back wall.
1: Ah, <laughs> yes. oh, well. Yeah, whatever. Come on. Let's just, let's just light it up.
0: <laughs> well, what'd you think about Claire? She's the only one when they're wearing the robes doesn't fasten it in the front. So there's a lot of shots of her just standing there in those boots and the short skirt and then the robe kind of around her waist or
1: yeah with her kind of Nancy Sinatra look yeah she's pretty yeah. cute
0: she's I mean obviously they were they were really trying to highlight her as opposed to everybody yes. else is just wearing their robe like normal right but it's fortunate they had her because she was able to show off those legs and give them a little kick in the shin
1: <laughs> while they were distracted
0: yeah, wow I thought, I thought they don't
1: see better. yams like that <laughs> Isn't that Frank's robe? What's Frank doing with his robe? Man, Frank's got some nice legs. <laughs> it was ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know why they didn't use Ahura or somebody that we actually knew. Yeoman Rand. Why right. this Claire character?
1: Yeah.
0: Except she's actually doing her job the, as the she, relations officer or something Relations,
1: like that. yeah, something like that. It's a diplomatic mission they were coming back from. Right. So. my
0: last comment is just that, you know, they left they left the Galileo and all the equipment just sitting there in front of all these hooligans. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Well, uh my last comment is that they had some of these inquisitors dressed up like KKK members, which I thought was interesting.
0: Well, just because they had the hood that covered their face. Yeah. White white hooded white hoods, white. I didn't see any white ones.
1: Oh, I did.
0: Well, sometimes when they're in the background, they're they're colored lighter than than when they're in the foreground. I think they're
1: still supposed to be black. Okay, but I see. What some you're saying. look pretty white, right? But yeah, but they're always the and ones some the look black too. I'll agree with that. It's just that in some shots they're really white, uh, and maybe they're just yeah. So page oh they don't have page numbers. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, so there there are several pages, several cells where they look kind of white. But, yeah. But yeah, but, yeah. But again, it's right. when they're, they're in supposed to the be black. Right? Yeah, I guess. For some reason, everybody's turned blue. Oh, because it's the guy—it's uh, Corbin remembering. And by the way, haven't we had characters called Corbin before in Gold Key Star Trek comics? That seems like a familiar name.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. It does sound familiar.
1: Yeah. I mean, they always look the
0: same. It's always the, the bald guy. That, yep. I don't, yep. They, they always
1: use the same exact... It's like they use the same actor. Right. But at least this guy looks a little older. Right. And he doesn't have Lex Luthor... What is it? Purple? What, purple. what colors? right. Purple. Yeah, he, right. he doesn't have the purple on. Right. So that's a little different, but yeah. So let's go on to ongoing number 19. Yes, let's move up to a significantly finer production quality book. Which was significantly more expensive cover cost. Okay, IDW Star Trek Ongoing number 19, which again, I, no title I can find, so I will hereby grant it the title Engineering in My Blood. There you go. Published date is March 2013. Creative team includes writers Mike Johnson, artist Claudia Balboni, inker is Erica Durante colorist is Ariana Florine color supervisor Claudia SGC letterer Neil Utaki editor is Scott Dunn story consultant is Roberto Orkey the primary cover presents a smiling Montgomery Scott within a Starfleet swoosh a technical black and white diagram of the enterprise complete with labels of significant components and rooms like sickbay is also in the picture the background is a star-filled open space with an overlay of circuit board kind of like a circuit patterns. The art is by Tim Bradstreet and colors by Grant Golish. Alternate cover RIA is the black and white sketch version of the primary cover, art by Tim Bradstreet. The alternate cover RIB is a photo of Scotty from the Into Darkness film, which is interesting. He is holding a communicator with a worried look on his face in a dark gray uniform. The story opens with a narrator saying how he supposes he has engineering in his blood. The HMS Enterprise is sailing through stormy seas off the coast of Gibraltar. The year is 1787. The captain orders that they press on after the French ship despite the dangers from the violent storm he asks for a report from Mr. Scott. A thin, intense-looking sailor reports that they're all gonna die. That's my report. Three ropes holding the mainsails up snap. Scotty starts climbing, saying they may go down tonight, but they will do it with full sails. Just as the story gets interesting, Mom says it's time to go to sleep to little Montgomery Scott. Though he has heard this story a hundred times, he never tires of hearing about the great engineers in his family line. He states someday he will be a great engineer, who will sail among the stars on warp drive rather than wind. Mom says he is probably right, and please get to sleep. Later Montgomery is trying to play the bagpipes, unsuccessfully seated across from his grandfather. He blames the pipes, and indeed, when Grandpa tries to play them, they sound terrible. He tells Scotty to fix them. At first, Scotty says, how can he fix them? He knows nothing about how bagpipes work. Grandfather tells him, he is a Scot. His family has been engineering tall ships, locomotives, and even spaceships. It's in his blood. He starts to work on the bagpipes, but states that he wants to work on starship engines, not bagpipes. Later that night, Monty and his little brother sneak into the Linlithgow shipyards, where they are building a starship. Monty says it's the most beautiful thing he has ever seen. They are caught by a security guard, who Monty tells that the shipbuilders are doing the wiring all wrong they need to group these individual wires together into a bus that would quadruple throughput. As the security guard takes Monty by the scruff of the neck to show he and his brother the way out the guard says to Monty that he is smart, too smart for his own good. Back at home Scotty is in bed and his mother is forbidding him to go anywhere near the shipyards. She says he is too smart for his own good. Grandpa pops in to see if he fixed the bagpipes. Monty says no. Fast forward to Scotty's first attempt to enlist in Starfleet. Despite his excellent technical skills, he is turned down due to his tendency to take unnecessary risks in his work and his smart mouth. He remembers all the people keep reminding him he is too smart for his own good. Later still, Scotty got off-world and on an old trading freighter as its engineer. By blind luck, their ship answers a distress call that turns out to be from a starship. They need an engineer that can aid them in getting it going again. Scotty goes across and ends up fixing the ship well enough to get it to a starbase. The captain is impressed and says he should be in Starfleet, not fixing old freighters. She puts in a word for him and before you know it he's in Starfleet. While there he ends up transporting Admiral Archer's Beagle using a cobbled-together prototype of a long-range transporter. He plans to transport the poor dog to the Mars Sidonia station and then from there a friend will transport it directly to Archer's office. As we all know the experiment does not go well. And the narrative takes him forward To his very chilly posting on Delta Vega Where Kinzer is attempting to play the bagpipes The issue ends with Scotty making a joke about Kinzer Actually getting better at playing the bagpipes And sounding like he's at home The end
0: I like the last little joke where he says That doesn't mean that we're related Because Kinzer was able to fix the bagpipes And he wasn't. And then he's like, oh, God, this doesn't mean we're related, does it? (laughs) Loved it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's a cute one. Like Kinzer. Yeah, Kinzer's good. Kinzer's a good character. I think um, having him to play off of Scotty is is a good comedy team. Right. Although sometimes Scotty just comes across as being a jerk. Yeah, there is that, isn't it? But uh, he's one of those savants that uh, just more into his engines and ship fixing uh, sometimes than the people around him. Right. Even his little buddy. Kinzer. <laughs> so, overall, what did you think of this issue? I I liked it. I think I still like McCoy's backstory better, but I, I do like this. I, I like it. I like it better than Ahura's. Yeah, Uhura's was just I don't know, trying to be sad, but not quite
0: making it well. Yeah, there was something about it.
1: Agreed. No, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good.
0: Yeah. Although I still think my favorite backstory so far was Kinzer's.
1: Oh, Kinzer. Yeah, that was a good one too. That was a good one. Yeah. It's so funny that they started out with him.
0: Right. Kinda. I mean it was yeah. I mean, it was him thinking you know, it was bookended by what was going on right now, but instead of just being a straight flashback like these last three. Right. I have one nitpick, though. The grandfather uh-huh. uh, calls him Montgomery Christopher Jorgensen
1: Scott. Jorgensen? Yes.
0: Right. Mm. Where in the universe prime, Montgomery Scott's name is Montgomery Edward Scott. Oh. So I'm just saying, you know, you gotta... Why couldn't you keep that consistent? And you know
1: my answer. They
0: don't care? No. The Kelvin being destroyed somehow made exactly. Scotty
1: younger and... Yes. Uh, a different name? Yes. The Narada coming back, the Kelvin getting s- destroyed, it all caused his name to change. <laughs> and Mud's gender to change, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, well, okay, but we have an explanation for that. Mm, okay. But that's a different issue. So what is on Scotty's t-shirt when he breaks into the shipyards? Because it looks almost like a presidential, a U.S. presidential seal or something. Yeah, the R-A-M-N-E. Yeah, and then it's H Yeah, H-E-Y, H-F-Y H, H, then let's Go go. I don't know, it's interesting I mean, he's obviously in Scotland Obviously that shirt is American Or the symbol is anyway So it's just kind of interesting What it's supposed to be
0: Yeah, on page 11 you can see the bottom of it really good It looks like it says, hey H And then star,
1: let's go Right, so I still don't get what it is yeah, no, I don't either. So R A M, then some kind of separator, and then what N E? N E, right. Northeast? I I don't know. Oh RAM. RAM. Okay. So RAM, is that some kind of engine technology? I don't know. It's just oh, interesting. No,
0: but, but I didn't I did not catch that.
1: Yeah. There must be something behind that shirt. Like an but inside joke or something? Inside joke, or maybe it actually has some kind of a uh, you know a future a theoretical future tie-in. I don't know, but I, I do find it's it's a little Easter egg that some that the artist is floating out there floated out there. Hey H, uh, I don't
0: know let's what go. It is.
1: Poor Beagle. So you, you think know? that's Porthos or Porthos ancestor? Well, the timing is kind of interesting, isn't it? I I, I think it has to be Porthos ancestor. I mean, uh, I think Beagles can live like fifteen, sixteen years. Yeah. But still that's that's a lot further than when Porthos was around. Right,
0: yeah, because Porthos was around in twenty one fifty one and this has to be in like twenty two fifty three, so it'd be a hundred years old.
1: Yeah. Unlikely. But poor poor whatever the dog's name is, poor guy. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> and he's just like, Are you ready, boy? Roof. <laughs> and he never comes back. So and the timing of this is odd, because I thought he had been in Starfleet a little while before he was stationed at Delta Vega. Well... But it looks like he's still a cadet or something, or did it somehow fast-forward out of Starfleet Academy? I think it's
0: fast-forwarded a little bit.
1: Um, okay, because I, I would have thought he would have been in Starfleet for a little while, and then attempted the this, this stunt with the Beagle. But. Right,
0: yeah, I never thought he would have done it in his room with the makeshift transporter pad, either. Yeah. Kind of odd. So what do you think about the throwaway line about Marcus? Yeah. The woman captain said that oh, right. she'll put in a good word with her old friend, Commander Marcus. He's on right. the adm- admissions board. Right. So I'm assuming that's a reference to Peter Weller's character in the, in the new movie. Ah. Admiral Marcus. Ah. Well,
1: at least there, at least well, there's a tie-in. Yeah, seems kind of forced, but yeah, it's a tie-in, right. all right. And and he's a commander at this point in time. Hmm. Right. Interesting. As always, the artwork is quite good. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. You know, the story's good. Colors great. You know, comic quality is really good. It's not flawless, mind you, but it's really good. Right. No, it's good. I like it. Yeah. And the ships look good. The, the
0: shuttle that he works on, it seems that it, it looks so much like the shuttle in his grandpa's story. I found it odd that they used the exact same shuttle design or, you know, freighter design. So right. on page 7, the grandpa's talking about engineering being in his blood. Mm-hmm. And then later when he's on page 14, he's actually on a freighter and it looks exactly the same as his grandpa's story. Well,
1: maybe he designed it. You think he just so? Just happens to be on a freighter, uh, that, or else they just didn't want to come up with another ship design. <laughs> right. Might as well use it, and we'll we'll shoot it from a different angle. We'll draw it from a different angle. Nobody'll notice.
0: <laughs> they just they didn't want to make another model. Exactly. Cool. We'll say they bought this one from the Klingons. Nobody'll know. <laughs> In another example of a ship being built on the Earth. Yes.
1: At least it's not the Enterprise this time. Right. It's obviously a different class of ship. But you really can't see the full thing, so...
0: Uh-uh.
1: But some aspects of it do, does kind of look like, you know, like a Constitution class, but the, the, the saucer looks a little different to me.
0: Right, it looks different. Yeah. And
1: notice the engine, the nacelle. Looks more like the movie era nacelle. Exactly. Looks like the movie, uh, the refit, Enterprise nacelle. Right. Which is very interesting they chose to do that. I really like the Federation
0: ship that he goes to and helps them out of their pickle. Uh, The NCC 0509. Uh, I really liked its design because it actually has like a round nacelle, almost like the original series. Uh
1: Ah. Uh huh. Good. Good point. So it's an ancestor of. Hmm. Well, it looks like the Kelvin. It looks only like the Kelvin. differences,
0: it, right? With a round nacelle versus the Kelvin kind of had a.
1: I don't know. More like the, the a fatter one. one. Yeah. It 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 had had a bigger, chunkier, fatter one. I think. Where this looks more streamlined. Right. And, it looks and like a tube. And isn't the number lower than the Kelvin? Wasn't like 514, 0514 or something like that? I forgot the number exactly. Uh, I don't remember. I think the number looks lower than the Kelvin, though. Hmm. Nice. But
0: well, they should both be lower than the Archon, which looked more futuristic than this one.
1: It looked... It, looked, I mean, it was disassembled, but it looked kind of like the Enterprise. Right. You know, the two nacelle... The the, the cells look like the the new Enterprise and hmm. stuck
0: onto the NX one Enterprise's saucer section. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Cool. So the kel the Kelvin was zero five one four. Yeah, that's
1: what I thought. Okay, good. Good call. Swish.
0: My last comment is that I liked the uh, the floating ships and stuff above Scotty's bed. It mm-hmm. c- kind of exactly like when it showed Kirk as a little boy having the N X Zero One Enterprise floating above his head. Right. So obviously the writers really think that little boys are gonna want floating
1: ships and stuff above their beds when they when right in the future. And of course the cool thing about his is they're like little holograms. They're not they're not like physical things, I don't think. They look like holograms.
0: Yeah, which is what Kirk's looked like too. It was like a hologram oh,
1: wire form of the NX01. Oh, cool. I didn't remember it being a hologram. Cool. So it's like one of those uh, projection kind of things, where you can project a starry sky or something, but instead you're projecting holograms. Cool. All right. And that's all I have to say about this issue.
0: All right. Well, then we'll jump into Countdown to Darkness. Uh, everybody fast-forwarding can go ahead and stop now, because we're going to to talk about the one you actually want to listen to. <laughs> uh, this one is... Oh, the uh, only title I know of is Countdown to Darkness number 3, so that's what I'm going to call it. I'm not going to come up with a fancy name like you are. Uh, it came out March
1: 2013. Do you, want, do you want to hear my name for it? Uh, sure. My fancy name. Sorry. And I'll shut up. Yeah, go ahead. Deceits and Betrayals. Man, you really think these things through. I try to. <laughs> and you'll see why when you get to the end. Please.
0: All right, story by Roberto orky and Mike Johnson, s- script by Mike Johnson, artist David Mencia, ink assist by Marianne Castrovero. colorist Claudia Scarlett-Gothka. Uh, letterer Chris Mori. creative consultant Anthony Pascal, and editor is Scott Dunbar. So there's... Two covers. One is a uh, photo cover, which is the one I ended up getting, that shows Spock and Kirk in their uh, normal uniforms. Might be a picture from Into Darkness. All right, the art cover uh, shows the lower left-hand corner of a gray Starfleet swoosh. Uh, Behind this little point, we see a depiction of Spock, just in his blue uniform with his hands behind his back. All right, so the story starts off with Sulu and Hendorf tied up in one of the insect aliens' tents. Uh, As you may recall, there was a crash landing of a shuttlecraft, and the two of them got captured by these aliens. Uh, Sulu is able to get a knife out from the heel of his boot, and he cuts the ropes off of himself. Meanwhile, Kirk is planning to leave April in an attempt to rescue Sulu, Hendorf, and perhaps even Spock, who took off at the end of last issue. April is trying to talk him out of it, but Kirk has made up his mind and he's going after him. Before he can leave, however, a shuttlecraft arrives with Ahura and a Bajoran woman named Mud. Kirk fills Ahura in on the events of the last two issues, and she seems very upset that Spock went out on his own. They board the shuttlecraft and plan to use it for a rescue mission. In the tent... Sulu is about to make his move and attack the guards in front of the tent. Before he can do this, the two guards fly into the tent unconscious. Spock then enters and tells them that the aliens have similar pressure points than other races. The shuttle is flying low and is about to reach the alien camp. Kirk asks Ahura who is in command of the Enterprise since he left her in charge when he left. She tells him that She left it to McCoy. On the Enterprise, McCoy is feeling the weight of command. Does he wait for the shuttle to return, or does he return the Enterprise back to Starfleet? He plans to stay, and Scotty informs everyone that he's still working on getting the transporters to punch through the planet's interference. On the outskirts of the camp, Spock, Sulu, and Hendorf have not quite made it out before they were discovered. They are now in a pitched firefight using the phaser rifles that Spock brought with them. Before too long, the shuttle flies overhead and blasts the aliens. It lands, and Ahura jumps out and tells Spock that this is the second time she's had to rescue him in a shuttle. They all jump aboard and head towards the Enterprise. Back on the ship in the conference room, Spock is showing some Klingon technology that he found at the alien camp. April tells them that the Klingons are supplying the aliens with weapons, and that is why he has enlisted the help of smugglers like Mud to supply arms to the other aliens. April claims that the Klingons plan to back one side in this civil war, and then when that side wins, they will then annex the planet into the Klingon Empire. This is easier than just taking it by force. Kirk tells April that he'll need to think about his next steps, and orders April and Mudd to sickbay to see about quarantine measures. Once he and Spock are alone, he chastises his first officer for running off on his own. Spock agrees that he was wrong, and he allowed his affection to interfere with his duty. Kirk is surprised that Spock admitted to being wrong, and tells the Vulcan that there will be no punishment from him but he will have to answer to Uhura. The two soon make their way to sickbay and are surprised to find McCoy there all alone. He asks about April, and McCoy admits to not seeing him. Meanwhile, on the bridge, April and Mud arrive and start blasting everyone in sight. Once everyone is stunned, he orders the computer to follow only his orders and uses a secret code that he had installed into his Enterprise. To his joy, the code works, and he is now in full control of the ship. Kirk and Spock make it to engineering to find Scotty trying to find a way around the sleeper program of April's. Kirk is concerned that April will start a galactic war with the Klingons. On the bridge, Mud and April have disposed of all the stunned bodies somehow. He is in the command chair, and she is lounging at the navigator station he orders the computer to plot a course when the computer complies he smiles wickedly and says that it's good to be back in the chair to be continued
1: wait a minute april's a good guy what's going on
0: i don't know i didn't really like that last little little twist
1: no no now mind you he's trying to save a race from extinction but really he's not he's just not playing by the rules right
0: so, one it's a it's a hard pill to swallow that there is this secret code that he put in to his enterprise and it still somehow made it to a new one. Exactly. So, even once you buy into that, then it just, you know, that last little that last little shot where he's all smiling evilly
1: just that's not the way I want to remember April. No. No. Definitely he is a um He's not a black and white kind of character in this reboot universe. Right. Not at all. So, I am very curious to see how this all pans out. Right. So, I wonder if they'll actually have uh, April in the new movie. I doubt it. Yes. Maybe he's cooling his heels in a jail cell somewhere?
0: Yeah, next to Harriman.
1: Or Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) When they put Harrison in jail. Right, right, right. Maybe. 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 Or uh, or maybe he ends up dying for his adoptive race. Who knows? That seems more likely. Yes. So, Miss Hot But Dangerous Mud. Yeah, so
0: she's Bajoran, and her name's Mud. So w- where did you say that there was an explanation as to why she doesn't look like Harry Mud? Because Harry Mud is her father. That's what I was thinking, which... Is possible, but still, why?
1: where is he at, and why is she Bajoran? Well, I'm figuring Harry Mudd ends up either marrying or whatever with a Bajoran woman. And she's actually a half and half, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, possible. And
1: actually, in this book somewhere, I'm looking for where they referred to it, there's actually some reference to her father. Right. And I wasn't it April that mentions him or something? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely April. Yeah, so they don't actually say his name or anything, but I'm guessing that's Harry Mudd.
0: That, that's what I was assuming, too.
1: Yeah, so they, rather than just having a gender switch, he does exist, probably, in his jovial, rather hefty form. <laughs> but how much older was Harry Mudd than Kirk? He was older, so I, I'd say he was maybe in his 40s. Okay, and how old do you think she is here? Well, she's probably in her 20s. You think she's that much younger than Kirk? Um, I don't think she's usually younger than Kirk. I mean, what, what's Kirk? I mean, what's he like, twenty six or something? Yeah, twenty seven like or something. He's he's supposed to be pretty young. The youngest captain ever. Well, by a good margin. <laughs> I mean, you know, even in the uh, in the prime universe, he was the youngest captain. But wasn't he like thirty two, thirty three, or something? Right. You know, the original TV Kirk. So this guy's clearly in his 20s You know, the reincarnated okay. one So Kirk is supposed to be about 26 Oh, the new one Yeah Okay
0: in, in the Into Darkness movie, he'll be about 26
1: Okay, okay And she looks young, but, you know, what, maybe 24 or something I don't know Okay, so I guess that would make sense if Harry Mudd was older than Kirk eh, Well, I mean, he, he had her early <laughs> Yeah Because then this is going to be like 10 years 10 years? I don't know 7 years later in continuity? Right. Right? If Kirk was in his early 30s in the original continuity? Yeah. So anyways, let's not think about it too hard. Let's
0: well, just because, say it's very Well, because, because in the hard.
1: end, in the end it doesn't matter because the Kelvin came back or Kelvin was destroyed, the Narada came back and that just changed everything. 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 So, up is Harry, there. Yeah. And actually, we do know that Harry Mudd was married to Evie. Right.
0: Yeah, so it's possible he had other other wives.
1: Uh, yeah, or maybe this is a... Yeah, but she, in Mudd's Women, was not a uh, Bajoran. Mm. No. Good point. Good point. Right. In fact, the Federation didn't even know who
0: the Bajorans were yet.
1: Yeah, you've said that before, and you're probably right, but it's like... Um... Okay. Yeah. So in this time period, which would have been what, eighty years before next or Deep Space Nine or something, right? Bajor either was not occupied yet by the Cardassians, although they would be eventually. Right. So were they even spacefaring back then? Hmm. No, no. Don't think about it too hard,
0: Ken. Just it's, it's alternate universe. We'll just go with it.
1: Exactly. Okay. So uh, moving on. So I thought it was interesting how Spock referred to the ship's main computer as a mainframe, which I had seen on Blaster a reference to somebody putting together uh, on YouTube or someplace like that a mix of all these references from 1980 and 90 movies that referred to computers as mainframes. Which, of course, anybody who's in the tech industry and maybe a little little who's been around a little while would know that yeah that was the main thing you computed on back in the uh, 80s 90s 70s uh, and they still are quite popular uh, like in in the business world and and big big processing but they're becoming less and less maybe less less common as distributed computing takes off so interesting that they would continue to use phrases like mainframe this far in the future maybe they maybe make mainframes will make a
0: comeback kind of like radio ah.
1: <laughs> or it's just a generic
0: term that they just want to let right. the user know the reader know what, what they're talking about.
1: about right now they definitely referred to communications as radio in the gold key comic did they call it radio in in these comics not in these but they did okay. it in the dc stuff remember okay oh DC? yeah right they okay had comments about it a couple weeks ago there you go. So considering how distributed computing is becoming so popular now and continues to keep on doing it more and more, you've got to think projecting into the future. You know, There might be a little bit less compu- dependence on one big main uh, computer on a ship. But, but that's definitely the way things were always in the, uh, in the original TV series. So maybe they're just trying to keep with that. Right. Maybe. You know,
0: I I just watched uh, Starship Troopers the other day, and Uh I thought it was funny that they use a CD-type looking uh, device, except it was, like, smaller than a normal CD. Okay. But I remember, you know, at the time, that was probably, oh, they could put all that data on a little tiny CD. And then now you're like, why do you have a CD? (laughs) Flash memory, baby.
1: Yeah. Or the cloud, I mean. Or the cloud. You don't need physical media anymore. Well, you do if you don't trust that doggone cloud.
0: Yeah, but in the future, they'll have all that worked out.
1: And we only have to worry
0: about bugs and
1: aliens. (laughs) Good
0: point, good point. Anyways.
1: Well, uh, we'll all be like the Borg and all plugged in. With our Google Glass eyes. Exactly, but it won't be just, it'll be over our eyes, it'll be plugged into our brains. Yes, we'll all turn into Cybermen. Exactly. So what about that Klingon tricorder? I mean, didn't you just say, you know, obviously somebody's furnishing them with weapons and stuff. It's got to be the Klingons, right? I mean, that's the most logical thing. I mean, it's the same kind of thing that happened in what was it called? This Side of Eden? What right. Was that one? I think that was the episode. Right. So, you know, it makes perfect sense it would be the Klingons, but it's almost like, you know, it's the Klingons. That's so obvious, but okay, Klingons. Love Klingons, so.
0: Yeah, well, I knew it was going to be the Klingons because I saw the cover of the trade paperback, and, which has the cover of Issue 4 uh-huh. on it, right. which shows the Klingons and the helmet-type look that yep. they had and the deleted scenes from the 2009 movie.
1: Right, right. So the, near the last page, right across from the, the grinning uh, Captain April, they have the next issue thing and, and shows the, the, that what you just mentioned the Klingon visage. Right. Yep, looks cool. Going to finally see
0: some Klingon. Right, which makes sense since we know that the Klingons are going to be in the new
1: movie somewhere. Right. And they may even end up visiting Kronos.
0: Right. I'm still trying to get this these four issues to tie into the new
1: movie. <laughs> You'll and find I'm, any way possible.
0: And I'm struggling. I'm struggling.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that makes it interesting. That's what makes it very interesting. Why lay it all out for you? Have a little mystery, right? A little, little something in the mystery box.
0: You and so, your mystery box.
1: yes, I, I think it's very cool on page ten where Sulu says he wished Spock had come with some more friends, and then right above his head, there's the you know the shuttle blasting away, right? At the uh, at the guards, choo, I thought that was pretty choo. pretty cool looking. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool shot too.
0: Like a so
1: camera's at his feet looking straight up and then you see the sh- shuttle over his head. Right. And then instead of like having the shuttles you know phasers set to stun, no, it's pretty much set to blow up and incinerate. She has to save her man. Has <laughs> to save her man. <laughs> In a very extreme vengeful way. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good, and that's the last thing I have to say about this one.
0: I don't really have anything else. I just think that it's convenient that they're able to take out the whole bridge crew as soon as the turbo lift doors open. Find that a little hard to believe. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out.
1: So don't they have the ability to shut down all the phasers? Come on, right? The ship's computer. Oh, well, and to keep somebody from hacking into it like that. <laughs> Well, well I, I completely agree that I find it hard to believe that just because you put some kind of special routine in your ship, that they would just take the software from an older ship and just kind of like uh, use it in the new ship. I mean, wouldn't you think right. they would? You know, the the engineers would be tinkering around with it back at the uh, you know Starfleet Starfleet shipyards or something. Right. And uh, why would
0: and why would they pick the computer why would they take the computer program from the enterprise? I mean, you would right. think that they would have a you know, a, a baseline version of whatever operating system their you know, computers use in the future and right. it will have whatever the the upgraded version of baseline, not the upgraded version of what was on a ship that was out in the I completely
1: um, agree. Completely. So. But but you know, he had to take over the ship. You didn't want to make it look that easy, so I guess. Okay, fine, whatever. I would have rather I don't think, him. I don't, do, I don't agree with it, but. I
0: would have rather him do a Star Trek 2 thing where he, you know, puts his little glasses as on the and, and reads the code. All right, that was it. So you're done with that?
1: I am done with that one. I, right. I, I do like it. It's another piece of the puzzle. But uh, looking forward to uh, finding out what's in number four, besides yeah. Klingons. Yep,
0: yeah, and we'll get that in four weeks. Cool. So as far as Expanded Universe goes, uh, November of. 1972 had a uh, novelization anthology. They called it Star Trek 8, but it was just an adaptation of uh, several episodes by uh, James Blish. Ah. And then uh, March of 2013, uh, which was just last month, there was a next generation novel called The Stuff of Dreams by James Swallow. Uh, this is based several years after Nemesis, and it has to do with the Enterprise-E uh, bumping up against the Nexus again, hmm. so the Nexus gets to come back. So, I'm again, I'm getting all these books and I'm wanting to read them, but I'm so far behind on the post-Nemesis stuff that I have not got around to reading this one yet. Right. Yep. <laughs> Uh, The other book that came out in March Was an original series novel called The Weight of Worlds by Greg Cox uh, And this is based during The uh, first Five year mission Alright so let's see Next episode That we will be releasing is We get to finish off Hearts and Minds Ah. uh, That miniseries Cool So we'll be posting that next week
1: Yes definitely Cisco and company in a very sticky situation Yep, and with that potential
0: war between the Klingons and the Cardassians. Exactly. I'm curious to see how that
1: all plays out. And exactly. And could there be a third party or a fourth party that is somehow manipulating events?
0: Maybe Section 31.
1: Oh. Oh, well, wouldn't that be interesting? They do hmm. manipulate events, don't we? Don't we all know? Well, join us next week
0: and you'll find out.
1: And you'll find out cool take care everybody thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the review thank you for listening to Star Trek comic book review all Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review let get the hell out of here